This podcast is sponsored by Aspire Pharma. Hello and welcome back to the BDNG podcast. My name is Ashlyn Cleary and I am an advanced nurse practitioner in dermatology. And alongside me today is my lovely co-host Emmanuel Tony, And I too an advanced nurse practitioner in dermatology. And today on the podcast we have Professor Anthony Beauty, who is a consultant dermatologist at Barts Health NHS Trust and honorary professor of dermatology at Queen Mary University London. We are very excited to have him with us today. We're doing a four-part series on about dry skin conditions and the links with mental health. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Ashling. Thanks very much, Manuel. And just before we begin, we'd be very grateful if you could give us a little bit of an overview about who you are just for our audience. Yeah, thanks very much. So my name's Tony Bewley. I'm a consultant dermatologist at Bart's Health in London and honorary professor at Queen Mary University London. Now, I have this unusual title of being a psychodermatologist, which doesn't reflect on my own mental health, but talks about the links between the common links between the brain and the skin, between what we feel and what we understand about ourselves and how that connects with our skin and who we are. Lovely. Thank you. And uh, the first kind of question is really just an explanation, if you could, about dry skin conditions, because it's such a broad category and the different forms they may come in. Well, that's right. So dry skin means that the barrier function of the skin is compromised in some way. And we know that the dryness of our skin is very variable. So some people have quite oily skin and other people like myself have just genetically because of my parents and the genes that I've inherited from my parents, quite dry skin. We also know that physiologically, uh, the, the moisturizing nature of the oil that our skin produces in childhood People's skin is relatively dry than in adulthood when cause changes to the skin. The skin gets a little bit more oily and it reaches its maximum oiliness around in the teens, early 20s. And then gradually the oiliness of the skin gets lesser and less as time goes on. And then it's really common for older skin to be a bit thinner and a bit drier and uh, not much oil, not much of the sebum is being produced compared to when we were much younger. On top of that, you can have genetic changes with your skin, which means that your skin is drier because of various changes, various enzymes or changes that you may not or that you may have inherited. Or you can have changes to the skin that makes it drier. And that can be things like atopic eczema or other 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 conditions affecting the skin. I would say as well, though, that some people confuse dry skin, in other words, not very oily skin, with the sort of skin that you get from uh, chronic inflammation. So, for example, with psoriasis, uh, people can consider their skin to be drier, whereas in fact it's probably as oily as anybody else's skin. But because the skin is thicker and inflamed and there is a lot of scaling in the skin, people can think that their skin is dry, whereas in fact it's just inflamed. So it is it is important to differentiate between dry skin and scaly skin, though of course you can have both. You can have dry skin and scaly skin. No, and I think that's a really important point to, to stress. And, and in your experience, then, how many 
patients or people actually consult a healthcare professional about a dry skin condition? Well, we know that uh, about 10 to 15 percent of GP consultations are around skin disease. And a lot of that is because of some change in the barrier function of the skin. It might be because the skin is dry and scaly and itchy, or it might be because the skin is inflamed, or it might be because the skin has changed in some way as a consequence of something that we put onto our skin. For example, sometimes nickel from earrings or nickel from uh, uh, gene studs can cause inflammation on the skin in the localized area. So we know that skin which is inflamed also has changes in the barrier function of the skin. And we've talked, we've mentioned dry skin quite a few times now, but how do you actually differentiate dry skin from normal skin? Well, when we're talking about dry skin, if we're talking about just physiological dry skin, in other words, skin that is not very oily, the commonest cause of dry skin is from overwashing with shower gels and foaming agents that we might use in the shower or 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 in the bath or just from washing. And we know that uh, particularly in elderly skin, because it is tends to be a bit drier and because we don't produce as much oil in our skin as we get older, that when well-meaning but perhaps misplaced overwashing from carers of elderly patients can lead to really very severe drying of the skin, particularly on the lower legs, and that's called asteatotic eczema. And I would actually at this point also point out that the oiliness of the skin is very different in different parts of the body. So the oilier areas tend to be centrally, so around the T-zone of the face, that's across the forehead and down forming the body, the, the, the other area of the T across the nose and the, and the chin. So the T area of the face is the most oily area of the face. And on the body, the oily areas of the of the body are around the middle of the chest and the middle of the back. And then as you move out from the central areas of, of the body towards the tips of your fingers or the tips of your toes, so the oiliness of the skin gets much, much less, which means that particularly, as I was alluding to a moment or two ago, which means that in elderly patients, particularly on the lower legs, if uh, well-meaning carers use lots and lots of soaps and gels to try and clean the skin, uh, the oiliness of the skin can be stripped. And so the skin can become particularly dry and then get quite inflamed. And so what are the, the consequences of overwashing the skin? Well, it is interesting. So in Western culture, we tend to use an awful lot of uh, detergents and soaps and shower gels, which um, feel marvellous in the shower or in the bath or whilst we're at the, at the sink washing our skin. But they tend to strip away the oil that the skin is producing. And if you strip away the oil that the skin is producing, then it means that the barrier function of the skin is not as robust as it should be. Now, most clinicians, nurses, doctors, GPs, consider the skin to be like a brick wall, really, with the cells of the skin 
forming the bricks and then the oil produced by the cells in the skin or the oil produced by the oil producing glands uh, the sebaceous glands acting as the mortar or the, uh, the the joining between the individual bricks, the individual cells within the skin. And if you strip away the oil from the skin, it means that the bricks, the cells of the skin are a bit more exposed. But also it means that allergens and pollutants and irritants can penetrate through the skin and so generate an irritant response. It can generate an eczema. So what we know is that if the skin barrier function is compromised, then it's much more likely that irritants and allergens and, uh, and for that matter, infections can get through into the skin and create inflammatory changes or infection changes. Now, on top of that, you may have a likelihood to have either a genetic skin disease or an acquired skin disease, something that you've developed as you've gone through life. And in those circumstances, the, 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 the skin cells themselves may be inflamed or the skin itself may be inflamed. And then, of course, if you're disrupting the skin barrier function by using by overusing detergents and soaps, then that means that, first of all, the skin barrier function is compromised, but the inflammation of the skin is exacerbated or facilitated because the skin is exposed to the irritants and the allergens and the infections that can further cause inflammation of the skin. And then finally, if you have inflamed skin where there is some degree of compromise to the barrier function of the skin, then it's much, it's much more difficult for the skin to heal itself so the repair mechanisms when uh, when this happens can can be compromised and i've said finally but but double finally we know that if you get stressed that the skin can get drier and more inflamed and the repair mechanisms of the skin can be compromised as well so we know that the addition of the connection between the brain and the skin is really important in maintaining the barrier function of the skin. We know this from research. So, for example, in research um, from quite a few years ago now, um, the researchers uh, did some experiments where they um, they compared stressed individuals compared to non-stressed individuals and did tape stripping experiments where essentially you use a sticky tape to remove the top layers of the skin from the skin and then checked about the repair mechanisms in patients who were stressed compared to individuals who were not stressed. And the repair mechanisms were much slower in the patients who are stressed compared to those who are not stressed. So we know that finally the brain connection to the skin and the, the, how we look at ourselves and feel about ourselves and whether we have a degree of anxiety and or depression, that also can make an effect on the, the barrier function of the skin and the dryness of the skin. So I think you've talked about two reasons so far. So we've got stress there and, and uh, detergents and, and overwashing. Are there any other factors that drive or cause dry skin? Well, we know that uh, there are genetic changes that can lead to dry skin. So we know, for example, with uh, conditions like ichthyosis, 
which translates essentially as fish-like scaling skin. Um, and patients who live with ichthyosis usually have a genetic change in their skin, which means that the skin is drier and more scaly um, and that the, the barrier function of the skin can be disrupted. And are there any other factors like what about lifestyle such as smoking or, or medications? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, we absolutely know that various things can promote dryness of the skin. Certainly sleeplessness can promote dryness of the skin. Uh, we know that smoking compromises skin barrier function. And also exercise is good for your skin, good for your skin in terms of the direct effect on, on the skin, but also good for your skin in terms of uh, mental well-being. So we know that uh, if you are exercising regularly, then it's such a stress buster. And of course, if you're busting the stress, then that means that the skin barrier function and the dryness of the skin is less compromised. And then another factor that is um, kind of a hot topic at the moment is diet. Is that a factor to consider? Well, right. I think that's right, uh, Ashling. I think we're we're particularly interested in two factors. Two factors around diet. First of all, about what we eat, and we know that certain things can promote better barrier function of the skin. There is some research, for example, that agents which contain gamma linoleic acid, and that's things like uh, evening primrose oil or starflower oil, or oily fish. Um, it is thought that that can promote better barrier function of the skin and more less inflammation of the skin. The benefit of that, though, is not huge. Um, and a good, healthy, well-balanced diet, lots of lots of fresh fruit and vegetables is probably more important. And then secondly, uh, we're going we're getting more and more interested in the microbiome and the connections between the gut bacteria and the skin. And we do know that that for some patients who have particularly good gut flora, that that can that can really help. And there is a growing interest in uh, maintaining good bacterial flora, good microbiome in the skin. And we can do that by uh, trying to make sure that we have, uh, a, first of all, a good balanced diet, but also there are various things that we can use as supplements, for example, live yogurt or live bacteria or probiotic agents. Um, and we know that maintaining good barrier good barrier function of the skin um, can be promoted by making sure that we look after our microbiome. It's a really fascinating area, isn't it, at the moment? There's so much more research coming out, so we'll definitely watch this space. Um, so thank you. So, so far, you've definitely given us a really thorough explanation of dry skin, what causes it, how to differentiate it, um, and some factors that cause, that cause the skin dryness. Um, moving on now to treatment options, um, what, what would you recommend? The treatment for dry skin, first of all, is to uh, recognise that dry skin is, is a barrier dysfunction of the skin. And we all of us have need to make sure that we have a responsibility to look after the barrier function of the skin. So the first thing to do is to uh, try and avoid detergents and too much soaping agents in the skin. So try and avoid abrasive agents that you might be using on the skin. And instead, we talk more and more about complete emollient therapy. 
Now, what is complete emollient therapy? Well, it's first of all trying to avoid soaps and detergents and use a soap substitute, so a cream rather than a foaming agent. And secondly, it can be leave-on uh, emollients. So an emollient is something that puts a small amount of, uh, of an oily layer on the top of the skin. And I think patients often mistake moisturizing creams as being something that penetrates the skin. And in fact, the penetration of these oily agents that we put onto the skin is very small. But what they do is provide an, a lipid layer, an oily layer on the top of the skin, which then means that the water that our skin contains is held much more readily within the skin. So in fact, the moisturization comes from the water that the skin already contains, which is held more readily by the use of emollients onto the skin. And then thirdly, we can talk about humectants. So the difference between an emollient and a humectant is that an emollient is something that sits on the top layers of the skin and traps the water within the skin. And a humectant is something that holds the water more readily within the top layers of the skin. So an example of a humectant is glycerin or urea. And these are chemicals which attract and hold the water within the top layers of the skin. So really, uh, some good emollients or good moisturizing agents for the skin are uh, moisturizing agents or emollients that contain humectants as well as a lipid layer that sits on the top of the skin. And who would qualify for an emollient on prescription? Are there any guidelines that we should be following? That's a really good question. So uh, patients who have dry skin or who have inflamed skin, the very basis of dermatological care is the use of emollients. And uh, primary care colleagues, uh, practice nurses, general practitioners are very familiar with the range of different emollients which can be available for patients. All patients who have dry skin or, uh, or inflamed skin uh, are allowed on prescription to have emollients, whatever those emollients might be, and soap substitutes. What patients often complain about is that they're not given enough of whatever the emollient or the soap substitute might be. What we as healthcare professionals need to recognise is that it's such a basic part of dermatological treatment um, that we need to provide the patient with the correct amount of treatment, the correct amount of cream that is going to tide them over until their next visit to us as a healthcare professional. And I think that is very important to stress that we're being very clear on, on what on what we what we write down um so thank you so much um for going through uh, uh that first um podcast with us would you like to give us a little summary or a top tip for the listeners to take home well i think the most important messages are for patients please don't suffer in silence and for healthcare professionals please don't underestimate the importance of emollients in establishing good barrier function of the skin because it's such an important part of both normal physiological skin but also such an important part of the basic management of inflamed or diseased skin.
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that nice summary message. And we will be talking to you again shortly for episode two. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you.